morning as we kind of take a turn now and begin to prepare for summer. Last week we finished up with our vision campaign and, and our outreach messages of reaching out, being in the business of reaching out to people as Christ was in that business. The next two weeks we're going to focus in on John chapter 17. And then this summer, summer is usually a time of relaxation. Everybody's gone camping and stuff. Well, we are going to try and turn the tide. Starting the first week in June, over the next five months, we are going to get really, really serious and we're going to try and take a journey. The next five months, we're going to be doing a series called The Essentials. And it's not just going to be a series on Sunday mornings, but there's going to be a variety of things offered. There's going to be videos that are going to be produced during the week. There's going to be some special intensive learning sessions. Next fall, there's going to be small groups for everyone to join. We're going to have five months built around this theme called The Essentials. The whole goal is this, that all of us could strengthen our foundation to understand what it truly means to be Christian and understand the Christian way of life. The fact is, we've got a mess on our hands. Most of us couldn't put on a note card or a one-sheet paper the core beliefs of Christianity. So what we've got to do is we've got to try and bring some clarity to understand what are our core beliefs as a congregation, what are our core beliefs as individuals, because everything depends upon a strong foundation. When the found, strong foundation begins to weaken, the structure begins to weaken. So over the next five months, we're going to pour in and build a solid foundation for us as individuals and also for us as a congregation. So this summer, I know that you're traveling, you're gone camping away forever. That's all right. We're going to do our best. We're going to try and videotape the sermon every week and try and have some tools that help you for what you've missed. We'd really encourage you this summer to dig in, take some time out each week, keep up. This is, I would call, the most important five months that we've had because this is the foundation. So I'd encourage you to jump in to that. And also, as we move now from the vision campaign, we might think, oh, whew, breathe easy. Well, actually, that was the breathe easy part. Now is the time to work hard. I would like to just publicly say a thank you to the executive committee. They've been working extremely hard over the last month to get all of this in place and trying to discern what to do. They've worked hard on that, so we give thanks to them. But, but, the message this morning to our executive committee and our leaders is this. There's been a heavy investment made. Now leadership only gets more serious. We think we've worked, up, we've worked hard to this point. You ain't seen nothing yet. They're going to work only harder from this point forward because of the investment that's made. So I know we've got a committed executive team that's committed themselves financially and are committing now their time to make sure that our plan is in full motion, motion going forward. I'd ask you this morning, if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John 17, beginning with the first verse. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, 
and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let us pray. God, we pray with Jesus this morning in saying that your word is truth. We ask now, O Lord, that you'd open our eyes to understand what you would have for us. Give us wisdom and discernment that we can apply these truths to our lives. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Clear expectations. Everybody likes to have clear expectations. Everybody likes to know what's expected of them. Everybody likes to go be able to show up at work and say, I know exactly what I need to do to make the boss happy today. Clear expectations are a good thing. All of us like clear expectations basically in all areas of our life. This morning and next week we have an opportunity to get clear expectations or in other words, clear desires from Jesus. And what better place to look if we want to understand the expectations that Jesus has for his followers than look at Jesus' prayer life. If you really want to know what someone desires, listen to what they pray for. What they pray for is probably what they desire most. And this morning and next week, we're going to take a look at John chapter 17, where we have the Lord's Prayer, where we have Jesus himself praying, and we can come to understand what is it that Jesus desires for his followers. Or in other words, what is it that Jesus expects of us? We get a clear picture from Jesus of what he wants from his followers. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the first half of John 17, and we're going to get a clear look that Jesus wants his followers in the race, but he doesn't want the crowd to set the pace. Jesus wants his followers in the race, but he doesn't want the crowd to set the pace. I know all of you have been waiting in anxiety over the last week, and I must have made it through the big run yesterday because I'm here this morning. Think, yes, yesterday was the 5K run. I entered the race. The real question was, though, who set the pace? Did the crowd set the pace or did I set the pace? Do you know what the most difficult thing of running the 5K was? I had no idea how fast I was going or how slow I was going. You're running in a crowd. You have no idea, is the crowd's pace fast? Is the crowd's pace slow? And so we got to the first mile marker and I'm thinking... Geez, you know, there's a couple hills, but I've made pretty good time. Thing. And, and the guy yells out, five minutes. Five minute mile, pretty good. 
I'm kidding. It wasn't a five-minute mile. Geez, the fact that you believed me, we might have some problems. <laughs> the guy yells out, we run the press, 14 minutes. I'm thinking, 14 minutes? When I was in elementary school, I ran a seven-minute mile. How can this be possible? Thing. I was just keeping pace with the crowd, I thought. And I was already behind on my goal. I had set a goal of 10, 12, 14. I was already four minutes behind. Thing. You see, keeping pace was one of the most difficult things because when you're in the crowd, what do you do? Try and keep up with the crowd or what? Slow down to stay with the crowd. This morning, we get a clearer word from Jesus. And the first word is this from Jesus, and that is that he wants us in the world. Or in other words, he wants us in the race. It's all over here in verses 6 through 19. Jesus says it over and over again. I am not in the world, but they are in the world. Father, I ask that you don't take them out of the world, but send them into the world. Jesus doesn't desire that his followers go off and build a castle somewhere else, but rather Jesus desires his followers that they stay right in the world, that they stay in the race. All of us are living in a race right now. Uh, basically, the marathon of life, the life marathon. The question is, what pace will we go? Jesus wants us to stay in this race. When we become Christians, it's not like Jesus just says, okay, they're Christians now, let's zip them off to heaven. He keeps us in the world. He wants us to be in the race with the other runners. And so Jesus' first thing is to stay in the race. And as we're living in the race, as we're living in the world, Jesus would have us know a couple of things. The first thing we should recognize this morning about our life in the world, our life in the race, is this. Look with me at verse 6. The very first thing Jesus says is, Your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Yours they were. Do you hear something there? Jesus is acknowledging to the Father that, Father, you own these people. They are yours. They are your possession. That's the first thing we need to see here in verses 6 through 19 is that Jesus owns us. That we cannot forget whose we are. You know, a lot of people, when they name their child, they usually use a first name or a middle name that what? Is from their family heritage. And one of the goals of that is they'd remember where they came from, that they would carry on the lineage. You know, um, the guy that makes the Foreman Grill, George Foreman? You know what George Foreman did? He named all of his kids George, even the girls. He wanted his kids to remember whose they were. The first thing we have to remember when we're in this world, we have to remember whose we are. We are God's. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit when you profess faith in Jesus Christ. You are owned by God. You are God's holy temple. You are God's. You are God's holy possession, dearly loved. We have to remember that we are God's. God owns us. God created us. We have to remember who our owner is. We have to remember whose we are. It's the very first thing that Jesus says over and over. They were yours. You gave them to me. Basically, there was a transfer of authority from God the Father to Jesus. Now Jesus has authority over us. We are God's. Now, if you would, look with me at verse 13. So Jesus says in verse 13, he says, 
But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is an absolutely great promise to cling to. Listen to what Jesus is praying for here. Jesus is praying that what? You would experience His joy. Jesus did not create us to be just boredom. Jesus created us to experience His joy. He wants us to be in a position of continual happiness. He wants us to be in a state of joy. He wants us to experience the very joy that He has. That's His prayer right here, is that the people who He owns would experience His joy. And that's what we see in the book of Philippians that we studied a long time ago as a congregation. That was the main theme in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, I rejoice. And yet the Apostle Paul was in prison. But the Apostle Paul was able to have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances because it wasn't the circumstances that gave him joy, but it was rather his identity in Christ that gave him joy. And this morning, Jesus is actually praying that you and I would have joy, that you and I would be in a state of happiness because we know we're eternally secure. The circumstances around us may be troubling, but we know that we stand on a strong foundation. So Jesus is praying that we would remember that we are His and that we would experience His joy. Those are great promises to be reminded that we are His and also to know that God wants us to experience joy. So while we're in the world, we have to remember who our owner is and we need to seek joy. If you want happiness, you know what I'd encourage you to do this morning? Pursue more happiness. Now, the question is, what are you pursuing to get that happiness? Are you pursuing Christ, the source of joy, or are you pursuing the things of this world that will bring temporary happiness, not everlasting joy? Jesus wants us to experience joy. So while we're in this world, we're reminded that we are His and we are living lives of joy, and while we're running this race, now the question is, at what pace will we run? Look with me, if you will, as we get towards the end, down there by verse 19. Verse 16 we begin at. Verse 16 through 19. Jesus says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So here we get lots of words. The key phrase of not of this world, but then we also get sanctified in truth. So Jesus wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. Or in other words, he wants us to be in the race, but not letting the crowd set the pace. So what is setting the pace? What is setting the pace then comes to us right here in verse 17. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Well, sanctify, what does it mean to sanctify? To sanctify means to set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. In the Old Testament, they had all of these objects that they took to the temple, and they even had holy objects. What it meant to have a holy object was that that object was set apart for a very specific purpose. So if something is holy, it's set apart for one single thing. And Jesus is here saying, hey, I want these people to be set apart 
for one thing. I want them basically to be single-mindedness. I want them to be set apart for single-mindedness. So the pace, that which is setting our pace is what? His Word, because it's His Word that's setting us apart. When we come to understand the truths that God gives us from His Word, we're set apart for a specific purpose. So Jesus would have us this morning not let the crowd set the pace for us, but let Jesus' Word set the pace for us. Now, yesterday as we were running this race, you wouldn't believe it, I actually picked up speed on the second mile. So we picked up speed at the second mile, and luckily had one of our members kind of joined me halfway through the second mile thing. I think she just slowed way down to allow me to catch up thing. So I came to the second, about halfway through the second mile, she joined me, we got to go down this big hill. We get to the bottom of the big hill, and they yell, I think the second mile marker, and they yell, 26 minutes. And the first words out of my mouth is, I can meet my goal. So the very first thing I do is what? Speed up. Very first thing she says, still got a mile left thing. Slow down. You know what I needed at that moment? I needed an external voice to remind me there's still plenty of ground to cover. Because what was, my feelings, my emotions were telling me something else. My feelings and my emotions were telling me, oh, yes, I'm going for this. But I needed an external word to remind me, slow down, there's plenty of race ahead. You and I, we need an external word, an external voice that comes to us and gives us wisdom. That external word is the word of God found in the Bible. It's that external voice that comes to us and, and says to us, hey, your feelings and emotions may say this, this is the anchor. This is the foundation to stand on. We need that external word. If I did everything that I felt like, if you did everything that you felt like, we would be in a world of hurt. We can't trust our feelings. We can't trust our experiences. We have to trust an external word, the word that comes from God, our owner. It's this word that is supposed to set the pace for us. As Christians running in the race, we should actually be people who constantly have this phrase on our lips. Who says so? How many of you like it when your kids say that to you? Well, who says? We don't like that phrase when our kids say it to us, but actually that phrase should be ingrained on our lips as followers of Christ. We should constantly be questioning the culture. We should be constantly questioning our traditions. We should constantly be saying, well, who says? Who says that we should do it that way? And then we should say, does God's Word say we should do it that way? And if God's Word doesn't say we should do it that way, we just say, well, that's your opinion. It's an option, but it can't be said that it's the only way, the final way. We should constantly be saying, who says? We need to examine our own lives. The way that we spend time or the way that we make decisions about careers or families. Why are we making decisions those, way, those ways? We need to say, who says? Who says we should have this many children? Who says we should do this in retirement? The question is, is it God's Word that's speaking? As Christians, we should be quick to say, who says? so we can discover if it's God's Word that's giving us direction. As followers of Jesus, He has clear expectations for us. 
He wants us to be in the race, but He does not want the crowd to set the pace for us. His Word is the pace setter. How many of you have ever thrown a frog in boiling water? Anybody know what happens when you throw a frog in boiling water? Who wants to take a guess? What? Explodes? Okay, that'd be interesting. Yes, probably. He jumps out of the water. You throw a frog in boiling water, the frog is going to jump out of the boiling water. What happens if you put a frog in room temperature water and slowly warm up the water? He stays in the water. Because what? That becomes the new normal. That's the greatest danger for us as followers of Jesus. We live in culture, which we're supposed to do. We live in the world, which we're supposed to do. But what happens is this. We live in the world, and slowly what happens is the ways of the world and the ways of culture slowly become our ways. And what? We don't even really notice. We don't even really recognize. But if you bring somebody from outside of our culture in, and they're like, why do you, you're doing what? Have you ever gone to another culture? Have you ever gone to like Mexico or Jamaica or another place and you've gotten there and you've gone, you're doing, what? why are you doing that? Well, you say that because what? It's not something that's normal for you, but the people in that culture, they're not questioning it at all because it's just become part of who they are. Now, there's great danger in that. So we've constantly got to be questioning even the things that we've become ingrained in. We've got to ask, who says so? Has it slowly become this way because culture is moving that way? Or has it become this way because God says so? As followers of Christ, God's Word sets the pace. Well, yesterday I met my goal. Believe it or not, you can even go on the Avera website and check this thing. I broke the 36-mile mark, minute mark, not 36-mile. Whoa, slow down. No, slow down. And so yesterday, again, what happened? We're close to the end of the race. Look up at the screen, and we can see, I think it said like 34.50. And it's just like, I'm going to step on it here. So I stepped on it thing and made it in under 36. But then I got home and looked on the computer. It actually had me at 32.15, I think. 32.15 thing. And so I just blew my goal out of the water. I came into position. You know what place I came in? 1,307. <laughs> now, 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 now. The only, I only saw that I got beat by one baby stroller, which was my other kind of slow goal. Why do I share all of this? Because I could gloat in the position that I finished the race. And I could be totally focused on where I finish the race. When we stand before the judgment seat of God, it's not about the position, but it's about the faithfulness in the race. Was I faithful throughout the race? Or did I take shortcuts? No, I did not. Look at these are things I take shortcuts. How about you and I today? In the race of our life, it's not about finishing first. It's not about finishing last. But it's about being faithful to the Word of God given to us by Jesus Christ. What does Jesus expect of you? Jesus expects you to live in the world but to not be of the world. Jesus expects you to run the race, but to not let the crowd set the pace. Go forth 
and run the race, but be faithful and keep God's pace. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you today, O Lord, that you have reminded us that you own us and that you want us to experience your joy. This morning, O Lord, we ask that you'd give us wisdom and discernment on how to live in this world. We pray, O Lord, that you'd remind us of your truths each day. We pray that you'd give each person in this room a desire to be in your word, that your word could guide us and lead us into all truth. God, thank you for your patience with us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd empower us to be faithful followers of you in this city, in our schools, in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods. Thank you, God, for your gifts and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.